The multi-millionaire fashion designer was arranging the wedding of his daughter. This was going to be the most talked about and best dressed celebrity wedding of the century. He had his personal assistant send out the invitations to all his suppliers and all the people who'd bought his clothes over the years, young and old alike. But as the wedding day grew closer, his guest list began to shrink. People who'd initially accepted his invitation began to send in their apologies. Some said they were going on holiday, whilst others in explained they had more pressing business engagements instead. And then, to add insult to injury, when the specially hired fleet of limousines went to collect those who hadn't declined his invite, none of them came either. The cars returned empty. The millionaire was speechless. In fact, he didn't believe it, so he sent the cars out a second time and told the drivers to make it clear that everything was now ready and he was awaiting their arrival. But this time, the invited guests wouldn't even open their doors. The fashion designer was livid and he had his lawyers take immediate action to cancel the supply contracts and the customer accounts of all those who'd offended him. He wasn't going to have his name taken in vain like this. Next, he called in all the drivers and told them to go into the city and stop on the street corners and invite anyone and everyone to come. He also had his drivers offer each guest who'd accepted his surprise invitation an immediate visit to his retail headquarters where they could choose any new outfit he or she fancied so that everyone would look their best. And so, better late than never, the room was filled with guests and the wedding could begin. After the formalities were over, the fashion designer went around the room to meet his surprise guests in person, all of them dressed in his latest designs. When he came upon a scruffy young man, still dressed in torn jeans and a rather grubby T-shirt, the designer turned to his PA. Had this young man not been offered his choice of a free set of the latest fashions like everyone else? But before the PA could consult his extensive list, the young man spoke for himself, saying, I didn't really think it mattered what I wore. But it did. This was, after all, the wedding feast of the world's greatest designer. And so he immediately had two of his security team come and eject the scruffy young man by the back door. When I make an offer... I don't expect someone to throw it back in my face and think they can get away with it, he said, as he returned to the wedding banquet. Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> well, good morning. Don't worry, the dunking is on its way. I shall try not to be too long this morning. Um, but first, I've got an invitation for you. If you have your Bibles with you, would you find the book of Matthew uh, and chapter 22? Don't panic if you don't have a Bible, I'll stick the words up on screen for you as well. Matthew's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And Matthew, who was <coughs> uh, the guy who wrote Matthew, um, was also one of Jesus' followers. 
uh, or disciples as they're known, or one of Jesus' friends. And he records for us in his book many of the things that Jesus said and did. And if you've been with us at all recently, you'll know that we're in the middle, in fact, coming to the end um, of a series called Stories Old and New. And we're looking specifically at the, the fictional stories that Jesus told. Jesus was very well known for his stories. He told a lot of them. We've covered quite a few in this series, but there's many we won't get to. Um, Matthew alone records 23 of these stories, but there's more in Mark and Luke as well. Matthew also tells us the reason why Jesus told so many stories. In Matthew 13, he can recall um, asking Jesus, along with the rest of the disciples, why do you speak in parables? Why do you tell so many stories? And Jesus said to them, it's because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you and not to them. You and not to them. And Jesus goes on to explain that the you are those whose hearts are open to Jesus. Another way he puts it is those who have ears to hear, those who are listening to him. And the them are those whose hearts are closed to Jesus, those who don't hear, those who aren't listening too well. So Jesus doesn't tell stories because he wants us to have a nice moral lesson wrapped up in an easy to understand narrative. He tells stories because he wants to challenge those who are listening. Are they really hearing what he's saying to them? It's sort of like when you're watching TV and your partner says to you, the kids have got no clean clothes for the morning. That's not just a nice story. There's a hidden message. I've learnt. <laughs> Turn off the TV, put a wash on. So the first question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we really listening? Are we listening to the story? Are we listening to what it is that Jesus may want to say to us today? And as I said, we're in Matthew 22 for today's story. And it begins in verse 1, and it begins this way. It says, Jesus spoke to them uh, in parables. Sorry, let me read that again. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. And we know why he's speaking to parables. He wants to see if they're really listening to him. But who is the them on this occasion? Are they people who are prepared to listen, whose hearts are open to Jesus, or are they people whose hearts are closed? And in order to answer that question, we need to just skip back one chapter to chapter 21 and look at verse 23. Here it says, Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? So we find Jesus is speaking to chief priests and elders. And these are people that were pretty important in Jesus' day. It'd be a bit like um, me going to the Vatican uh, and preaching in the square and then the Pope and his bishops popping out and saying, Oi, what are you doing here? Clear off. Or like maybe holding a, a political rally on the White House lawn and Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson and Jeff Sessions popping out and saying, who told you you could be here? You know, it was intimidating. It was uncomfortable. It was probably time for Jesus to, to pack it in and go home, except that he doesn't. He turns around and he looks them square in the eyes and he says, I will ask you one question. And if you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. 
and the chief priests and the elders, they sort of look at each other quizzically and they think, can he do that? You know, we're the important ones. He can't ask us questions, surely not, but it's too late. Jesus is already asking the question. John's baptism, he says. John's baptism. Where did that come from? Was it from heaven or human origin? In other words, you're asking about me, but what about John? Where does his authority come from? From God or from man? And John was a man who was famous for baptizing people. Really good person for us to be looking at this morning. He lived in the wilderness in Judea, and he preached a message of repentance to the people of Israel, the Jewish population. Here is a photo of him. He was in the middle of a selfie, and his, his phone <laughs> slipped from his hand. Good beard, though. Good beard. His exact words to the people were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus' stories are about the kingdom of heaven. And John was telling people to repent and get ready because the kingdom of heaven was near. And we need to remember from previous weeks, the kingdom of heaven is not where you go when you die. The kingdom of heaven is where God's will is enacted. It's where people live their lives for God. The three we've heard from today have all talked about stepping into the kingdom of heaven and the change that that has made in their lives. John says repent. It's another way of saying turn around. Stop living the way that you have been living and go a different way because the way that you are living is damaging to your relationship with God. And the Messiah is coming, the Savior, the one who's going to show you how to live for God is coming. So get ready. He'll show you how to be a part of the kingdom. And then he stood in the River Jordan. Anyone who wanted to repent came to him and he pushed them under the water and pulled them back up again. And it was a symbol of being washed clean from their old life, their old way of living, being cleansed from their past mistakes. Now obviously this morning we've got a nice heated pool. At least I hope it's been heated. Um, <laughs> Last time we did it back in Easter, the top half was warm and the bottom half was cold, so we had cold bottoms, and uh, no one wants a cold bottom. <clears throat> John used the river, though. I mean, we could have used the canal, couldn't we? Although I'm not convinced you'd come up actually cleaner than you went in. It'd be like a reverse baptism. You'd come up with a shopping trolley, wouldn't you? Um, no, we'll stick, to the, we'll stick to the pool. But John's message was popular. Lots of people realised that their lives weren't as they were supposed to be. They weren't where they were supposed to be with God. And so many, many people came to him. But the chief priests and the elders didn't. They didn't accept John's message. In their eyes, they didn't need to be put right with God. They were fine. Thank you very much. Very happy living the lives they were living. Like many people are today. But they needed to answer Jesus' question. So it says in verse 25 that they discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he'll ask them, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you get baptized? But if we say of human origin, then we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these and this is really key to our understanding of the story this morning because Jesus isn't being difficult. Jesus is making a point. And the point is this. If they didn't respond to John's invitation to be baptised, then they aren't going to respond to his invitation either. And then Jesus tells them three stories to illustrate 
his point. Now, the first story involves two sons. One promises to work in his father's vineyard, but doesn't. The second one says he won't work in the vineyard, but does. He changes his mind. And Jesus says to them, which one did what the father wanted? And of course, the answer is obvious. It's the one who changed his mind and went to work for his father. And he tells them plainly, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, the way back to God, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. You haven't responded to John's message. And he tells them another story, which goes a step further. And actually, Martin uh, spoke to us about this story a few weeks ago. I'm not going to go into details this morning because we haven't got time. You can listen to it on our website if you would like to. But very, very briefly, the story is this. There are some farmers who are employed to work, again, in a vineyard. But the vineyard is owned by somebody else. When the time came for the harvest, the vineyard owner sent some servants to collect the harvest, but the farmers killed the servants. So he sent more servants, and they were killed as well. And eventually the owner thinks, I will send my son to them, because they will respect him. They will listen to him. But of course the farmers don't respect or listen to him either, in fact, they murder him. And so Jesus asked them, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? And again, the answer is obvious. He'll do away with them and give the vineyard to those who do respond. So the first story is about how they haven't responded to John's invitation to repent, to live God's way. The second story is about how they've rejected Jesus and are currently rejecting him, who is the Son of God. It's the same message. It's the same point. And after those two stories are finished, it says in verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him. And so Jesus tells them one more story, one more chance, one more opportunity. And we're back. We're back to Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. A wedding banquet, a joyful occasion, a chance to celebrate. I don't know about you, but I love a good wedding. We've had a number of fantastic uh, opportunities to celebrate weddings this year. We've had Amy and Nathan. We've had Karen and Vic, who you've seen this morning. Uh, We've had Diana and Zay, Stu and Heather, and they've all been amazing celebrations of joy. Now the past two stories have been about vineyards, but now we move to a wedding. So what's the connection? Well, throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, they refer to quite often as a vine or a vineyard planted by God. But grapevines aren't planted to look pretty. They're planted with a specific purpose. They're planted to produce fruit, fruit that is ultimately turned into wine. What did the grape say when he was trod on? Nothing, he let out a little wine. (laughs) Thank you for laughing at that. (laughs) Grace in action, I think. But wine is a symbol of joy and happiness, and it's found in vast quantities at weddings. The first miracle that took place in the book of John was Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. And they said it was the best wine. 
what we learn is that when Jesus arrives, the party really gets going. And we've seen that already this morning in the stories that we've heard from those getting baptised. There is more joy, there is more happiness, there is more life than was there before. And we need to remember this isn't just a picture of heaven, this is a picture of here and now. We're being invited to be a part of God's kingdom today. God wants to bring more joy, more life, more happiness into your life today. That's why we're at a wedding And so in verse 3, it says that he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet hall to tell them to come. And in those days, people were invited on a day, but they weren't given a time. So when everything was prepared, they would send people out to bring them in to the wedding. But we come to one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says that they refused to come. The king was sitting in his banquet hall looking out at his glorious feast, all that he'd prepared for him. The musicians were ready, the food was cooked, the decorations were up, the wine was flowing, the party was ready to begin and the servants return alone. They're not coming. They've refused to accept the invitation and the king's heart is heavy. Try again, he says. Tell them how much I've prepared for them. Tell them that, that I've prepared the dinner, that my oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. It's going to be the best party. And this isn't a king who gives up easily, is it? But it says they pay no attention. It says they went off, one to his field, another to his business. Sorry, there we are. Moved it on. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. We go from an invitation to joy to murder and retribution very quickly. Seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? And we need to remember that this is a story. It's supposed to be a little far-fetched. Jesus is using hyperbole to make a point. But there are two types of people here. The first group, they don't mistreat the servants particularly. They just aren't that bothered about the feast. They're interested in their own agenda. It says one goes to his field, another to his business. And if you read this story in Luke, he records another excuse. It says, "I've, I've just got married, so I can't come. The wife won't let me. But the excuses they give are deliberately rubbish. They don't hold any weight. It's sort of like the modern equivalent of saying, oh, I can't come out, I've got to wash my hair. You know? These people have been invited. They know about the wedding. They just choose to reject the call to come and be a part of the celebration. And you know, there might be people here this morning who responded to God's invitation a long time ago but have ignored his call in their lives. It's possible to say yes to God's invitation and then live however we please. That was the point of the first story that Jesus told. But you know, the thing is, we're missing out. We're missing out on all that God has prepared for us. There is a feast waiting in a banquet hall and we are content eating cold McDonald's fries on the side of the road. Christian author C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, We're ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday 
at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. And I wonder if that speaks to any of us this morning. The second group of people are even more ridiculous. They don't just reject the invitation, they mistreat and kill the people that arrive with the invites. Remember that Jesus is telling a story here, but who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the chief priests and the elders, those who were already looking for a way to arrest him, a way to get rid of him. And we know ultimately they have a hand in his crucifixion. So perhaps not quite as far-fetched as we think. Jesus uses this story to reveal their hearts, to tell them that he knows their intentions. And he also wants them to know that there is a coming judgment, that they are currently on a path to destruction. And the only thing they can do when you're on a path to destruction is to turn around. Or as John said, to repent. The story isn't quite over. The king turns back to his servants and he says, The wedding banquet is ready. That those I invited, they don't deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were one of the ones invited? It'd be like going to London for the weekend and someone running up to you and saying, hey, the Queen, the Queen's having this huge party. It's like 12 courses, Elton John's playing. It's going to be incredible, but no one's turned up. Will you come? Will you come and be a part of it? How could you refuse? It's like winning a a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I read a news story earlier this year um, of a woman from Indiana who didn't want her cancelled $30,000 wedding to go to waste. So she decided to throw a party for the homeless instead. Let me read you a little bit um, of this story this morning. On Saturday at the swanky event centre that Sarah Cummings had booked for the reception in Carmel, a suburb just north of Indianapolis, about a dozen veterans from a local organisation were among guests who dined on bourbon-glazed meatballs, roasted garlic bruschetta and wedding cake. Cummings told the Indianapolis star that she and her fiancé called off the wedding a week ago, she declined to give a reason, but said they were left with a non-refundable contract for the Ritz-Charles and a plated dinner for 170 guests. Cummings said that she decided that rather than throw away the food, she would bring some purpose to the event. So she contacted the homeless shelters in the area. She cheerfully greeted and welcomed her guests when they arrived to attend the Saturday party. For me, it was an opportunity to let these people know they deserve to be at a place just like this as much as everyone else does, Cummings said. Several local businesses and residents donated suits and dresses and other items for the guests to wear. Attendee Charlie Allen, who'd spent three months in a homeless mission, received a donated jacket. I didn't have a sports coat, he said, tugging gently at the lapels. I think I look pretty nice in it. Like other guests, Allen was grateful for the invitation. For a lot of us, it's a good time to show us what we can have, he said, or remind us of what we had. Three of Cummings' seven bridesmaids, along with her mother and aunt, came to support her. Guests dined on chicken breasts with artichokes and Chardonnay cream sauce and wedding cake. How brilliant is that? Doesn't that warm your heart? But you see, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We have been offered more than we could ever imagine or deserve by Jesus through God. And all that we need to do is accept the invitation. John, not John the Baptist, a different John, wrote about Jesus at the start of his book. Jesus came to that which was his own, 
but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We've heard it from Vic this morning. And if you're not sure, um, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you're currently involved in. It doesn't matter what you've experienced in your life to this point. You are invited. You are invited to be a part of God's kingdom this morning. And if you're not entirely sure what that means or what it is you're being invited to, then listen again to the testimonies that we've already heard. The testimonies have changed lives this morning of God's grace. Jesus died for each one of them as he also died for you to make a way back to God. Ask someone who's a follower of Jesus. I'll tell you the difference he's made in their lives. But don't miss out. Don't refuse the invitation. There's a tiny bit of the story left. I want to finish with this bit this morning. I'm, I'm nearly done. It says, When the king came to see his guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He said, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, Tie him hand of foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Again, it seems a little bit extreme throwing someone out for not wearing a shirt and tie. Again, it's a story. There's a point behind this. You see, these people were guests of the king. They were no longer to be considered common folk. They were invited to dine with royalty. And there was an expectation that they would behave a certain way. Not because there was a law that demanded it, but because it demonstrated their love and their respect for the king. As I said earlier, um, we've had a number of weddings in the church this year. And for every single one of those weddings, I've put on a shirt and a tie and a jacket and even proper shoes. (laughs) Yes, me. (laughs) Not because I was required to do so because I loved the people who invited me to their wedding and I wanted to show my gratitude to them for allowing me to be part of their celebration. Colossians 3 verse 12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's you. If you've accepted the invitation, that's you, a chosen person. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And there's a little bit before that in Colossians. I encourage you to read the whole chapter if you have time later. But it says in verse 12, put to death whatever belonged to your earthly nature. In a minute, we're going to baptize our candidates. And as they go underwater, they are putting to death their old way of living and being raised again to new life, to live as children of God, to live as those who have been chosen by the King. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean they're going to always get it right. But it means that they're going to try. And you know, for some of us this morning, it might be that we put to death our old nature a long time ago. But now we find ourselves living in a kind of uh, night of the living dead situation. There is a zombie on our tail. Something from our old nature that has come back from the dead 
to get us. And the thing is, putting to death our old nature isn't a one-time thing. It requires that we regularly look over our shoulder and be willing to put to death anything that would drag us back to that old way of living. So we need to ask ourselves, are there zombies in our life this morning? Things from our past that we need to deal with before we lose our joy. You know, you can always tell the person that doesn't really want to be at the wedding, can't you? Something in their face. Maybe something in the way that they've prepared to come and be there. I'm nearly done. You've been invited. Perhaps you accepted the invite a long time ago, but you know you're missing God's call on your life. He's waiting for you. Please don't make excuses and miss out on all that God has prepared for you in this life. And perhaps you've never accepted the invitation. You know, it begins by saying yes. All of those getting baptised this morning said yes to Jesus and they've already told you of the difference that he's made in their lives. The party gets going when Jesus arrives. But if we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, let's make a decision to clothe ourselves in the right way. Let's live as God's chosen people. Let's live as those who have hope, not those who have no hope. I want to just close with a prayer this morning. I wonder if you would perhaps just bow your heads for me. I want to pray this morning um, a prayer of acceptance. If you like, it could be considered an RSVP to the invitation that God has made to you. And if you've never responded to that invitation, you can pray that prayer this morning in your heart. And even if you have prayed it before, you can pray it again. Because, you know, sometimes we, we set out to go to the party, but we get lost on the way. So let's just pray together. Father God, I thank you for the invitation that you have made to me this morning to come and be a part of your kingdom. I thank you for demonstrating your love for me on the cross and dying in my place. This morning, I accept your invitation. Please forgive me for the things that I have done wrong in my life and help me to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have given me. In the power of your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.